If you're into movies and TV shows, this is the podcast for you. Join us here at Rewind Activate as we discuss behind-the-scenes facts, our opinions, and facts that you may not have heard known about these movies before. Spoilers ahead. Welcome back everyone to the final episode of Rewind Activate. This is still V and Chingin. Alongside me is my co-host Ethan Chuten. Hey, welcome back. I'm Ethan Chuten and thanks for listening to another episode of Activate Rewind. So Vian, what what film or series will we be reviewing today? Another Star Wars movie perhaps? Well, not today since we will be talking about the very popular franchise Personally, my favorite franchise, The Fast and Furious, more specifically, Furious 7. Ooh, this episode will be pretty interesting. However, it was quite sad when Paul Walker passed away, but I love the send-off of this film to his character and the tributes to him. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, this movie is really iconic and honestly very well made. The action and plot of this really keeps the audience entertained and on their feet. Of course, we love action movies here in this podcast. This film had lots to offer from fast cars, amazing stunts, and excellent plot execution. Did you know that this movie cost more than $140 million to produce, which made it one of the most expensive movies in the franchise to be produced? But now, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's now Fast X or Fast and Furious 10. I'm honestly not surprised. Do you hear how many cars were reported to be used in the movie? Around 350. Isn't that amazing? It is. I mean, have you watched the other movies from this franchise before? And what would you say would be your favorite? Well, I mean, I've been such a big fan of Fast and Furious for so many years now, but I think Fast and Furious 7 is my favorite movie for that franchise since I think the first six movies were mostly plot-based, while 8 to now, I think it's more, it just became super unrealistic. So Fast and Furious 7 just had the perfect balance and mix between plot and action. Alright, I see. But, uh, mm-hmm. So I guess let's cut right to the chase. So on that note, Ethan, are you ready for one last ride? Yep, I am. So as the movie starts, we see Shaw with his comatose brother. So before we go any further, I think Jason Statham is one of the most legendary action stars of all time. But is it just me that... Like, has to turn on the caption to find out what he's saying. Like, do you have the same problem, Ethan? Yeah, I also have the same problem where if I watch, like, a movie for the first time, I really have to, like, deliberately pay attention or to, like, hear what the characters are saying. Yeah, I mean, I think Jason Statham has the same problem with guys like Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, they're one of the best action movies to have ever been born. But for some reason, people just truly cannot understand what they're saying, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Shaw was telling his unconscious brother that he will finish what his brother started and that blood is thicker than water. And before leaving his brother's room, he threatened the nurses and doctor that if anything bad happened to his brother, Shaw will start looking for them. As we see a badly destroyed hospital insinuating that Shaw was the reason behind it. In the next scene, we see Dom Toretto with his partner Letty Ortiz on the open road. They were discussing Letty forgetting everything because of what happened during the last three Furious movies. Letty asked Dom what he was going to show her and turns out they were going to go to the race wars. Letty was tasked to race against the young driver but before the race started, Dom warned Letty on what to do to win the competition which is to keep it safe. 
Letty wanted to ride or die, but Dom being worried since Letty just started getting her memories back, just wanted her to ride instead. As the race started, both drivers drove at full speed. Both cars were in a close matchup with none of them missing a beat. Letty followed Dom's order and in turn, she wins the race. People started to pile up on Letty and she started to panic. She suddenly remembered why she got amnesia and punched the guy in the process. So, we of course see flashbacks of the incident. So, Ethan, do you actually know like what part of the Furious franchise this happened? Um, I can't really recall, but I did know that this is um uh, something that occurred in the old movies. Uh, would you please remind but me? If, no, but if you were to guess, would you? Uh, I can't even give a guess. It's been so long since I watched those movies. Oh, uh, so this incident happened during the fourth installment of the franchise. So, the story behind it was she was chased by this bad guy named Cadron, who managed to flip her car, leaving her injured in the wreckage. As Cadron approached her to shoot her in the head. He decided to shoot the car instead, which causes her to be thrown off the wheel. The crew thought that she was dead, but as we see in this film, she came out of it alive. So going back on track, we see Brian O'Connor played by the late great Paul Walker. We see Brian taking his son to preschool as we see him accustomed to his life as a father. We see that again as Dawn finds her looking over her gravestone. I mean, I think it has to be so weird just looking over your gravestone knowing you're still alive. But what are your thoughts on this, Ethan? Well, yeah, obviously, if I'm going to be looking over my graves knowing I'm still alive, I'm going to be very weirded out that at the same time, I'm going to feel really uneasy because other people think that you're dead. Mm-hmm, yeah, I 100% agree. So, Letty then tearfully admits to Dom that she has to find herself and leaves him before he can destroy the grave. We then see Hobbs was, of course, played by the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, Dwayne The Rock. Johnson, so I'm such a big WWE fan, so I just felt like I had to do that. But <laughs> okay. he left the building to give a recommendation letter to his subordinate named Elena. And when he returns, he sees Deckard Shaw. Shaw is there to extract off us of Dom's crew, and a fight started to ensue between Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, this fight was also done so choreographically well. Don't you agree, Ethan? Yes, I agree. <laughs> Probably one of the better uh, choreographed fight scenes I've seen in a movie. Yeah, I think it's because Rock is more of like a brute and bruce kind of fighter while Statham is more like technical and mixed martial arts. So for me, I think this matchup was a matchup made from heaven, in my opinion, at least. So suddenly it became a gunfight with Elena helping Hobbs defeat Shaw. But Shaw detonated the bomb, causing Hobbs and Elena to fall and crash to a car, but miraculously they both survived, with Hobbs taking the larger hit since he made Elena land on him instead. Because of this, Hobbs became severely injured. Shodden sees Han lose face on the computer screen, foreshadowing his so-called death in Tokyo Drift, which was, interestingly, the third installment of the franchise. We of course see that Han is still alive since we do see him in the most recent Furious movie spoiler head. Back in Los Angeles, Brian and Mia Toretto are preparing to take Jack out when Mia announces that Dominic has a package from Tokyo. Dominic and Mia discuss Brian's difficulties with adjusting a life without bullets, and Mia shares her fears about being unable to fulfill the kind of life Brian wants. Dominic reassures his sister that Brian merely needs time to fully transition, but she asks him how does nine months sound, and reveals that she is pregnant once again. After convincing Mia to tell Brian, Dom receives a call from the creature in Tokyo. The older Shaw sibling announces his presence to the family, and Dominic realizes too late the package is from Deckard, and is barely able to get himself and me out of the way before the package detonates and destroys their home. Dom visits Hobbs and his co-worker, fellow DSS agent, and Dom's ex-girlfriend, Elena Neves. 
Hobbs shattered his collarbone and fractured his legs into two places. Hobbs then warned Dom about who Shaw was. So the backstory behind this was during past five, Dominus grew with Hobbs, captured Shaw's younger brother in London, and now Deckard Shaw is out for revenge. Dom wanted to find Shaw to revenge him for killing Han, but Hobbs gave him the advice to just stand down. Dom does not want to follow this advice, and that's why Hobbs gave another one, which is to just finish, finish the job and to kill him. Mia then persuaded Brian to help Dom and stop Shaw. Brian was scared to leave his family behind, but he knows he has to do this. We then see Dom in Tokyo to challenge Han's friend, the new Drift King, Sean Boswell. We see Dom challenging Sean in Fast 3, but we found out about what was the aftermath during this film. Sean compliments Dominic's speed, surprised that American muscle cars could drift. Sean gives Dominic what they could recover from Han's Arc 7, which included a picture of Giselle Yashar. Do you know who played Giselle Yashar, Ethan? Um, no, sorry. Giselle Yashar was played by Wonder Woman herself, Gal Gadot. But unfortunately, uh. I think she passed away during the fifth, the fifth installment of the franchise, I think. Oh, that's unfortunate. To my knowledge. Right. Yeah, so Giselle Yashar was Han's lover. And Sean also found, about, found Dominic's cross necklace. When Sean asked what Dominic intended on doing to the man responsible for Han's death, Dominic merely states that there weren't words invented for what he planned on doing. Later, Dominic departs with Han's remain and buries him in Los Angeles, promising to see to it that he is avenged. Tedge Parker and Roman Pierce spoke to Brian during the funeral about who might be hunting them and their decision to forego attending any other friends' funerals. The only funeral left to attend, according to Brian, will be Deckard's. Dominic followed Deckard into the tunnel in Los Angeles after realizing the former operative is observing them and they lock eyes there. They charge up one another's cars and collide in a game of chicken. Dominic is prepared to fight Deckard, but the editor show makes it a point to shoot him where he stands when the arrival of a covert ops team forces him to run. When the men threaten him, Dominic strikes them, but the man in charge tries to reason with him and states that he was referred to Dominic by Hobbs. The only name he provides Dominic is Mr. Nobody and asks that he hear his proposal out. Mr. Nobody takes Dominic to a secluded headquarters in El Segundo, California, where they exchange beer and he explains his proposition to Dominic. If he helps him save a hacker named Ramsey from a terrorist named Mose Hakande, and retrieves a hacking program named the God's Eye. So, Ethan, can you explain what God's Eye is? Wasn't the God's Eye a program that used uh, digital devices and services to track down a person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So, the God's Eye is able to have any type of technology using a camera and presumably satellite tracking. It feeds information gathered back to its user under four minutes or less to use to their whims. He'll allow Dominic to use it to find Deckard Shaw. Mr. Nobody calls Shaw Shadow is very good at killing some without being seen by others and can only be found by God's eye. Dominic agrees to the terms if Mr. Nobody allows him to do things his way with his own crew. Mr. Nobody obliges his request and reveals that he had Dominic's crew rounded up and brought to his headquarters beforehand. Dominic and the others advise a plan to attack Jakandi's convoy from the air as they arrive in the Caucasus Mountains. Roman demands that they hit the convoy from the most secure spot on the mountain, despite it being very hard to access, believing it's a spot the convoy doesn't expect the crew to hit them from. 
Tetch didn't thought of an idea for them to land, which is to skydive using cars. I mean, I would just love to experience this in real life since skydiving is in my bucket list. So to jump off uh, a plane using a car would be such a dream to come true. But how about you, Ethan? Um, it's not in my bucket list. <laughs> I feel like I'll be very terrified that it to happen. <laughs> well, I guess we're extremely different, huh? Mm-hmm. I guess so. So actually, fun fact about the scene is from our member behind the scene, Natalie, is that they actually use 34 cars for that one-shot car skydiving scene. This is mainly because multiple cars are needed for one shot at one location. He further revealed that they needed six Subaru WRXs, eight Dodge Chargers, eight Challengers, six Jeeps, and six Camaros for the car skydiving scenes. The cars were dropped at a plane again and again in order to create that spectacular shot. He revealed that they lost three or four cars in the process. So the next scene that comes next is also so good since I mean, it's so hard to make an action scene look so good, but to do it super well using cars. I mean, I just have to tip my hat for that one. Don't you think, Ethan? Yeah, I, I, I would have to say the same here. Mm-hmm. So Ramsey is eventually freed from her captivity, but not before the team runs with Deckard, who tries to thwart their efforts. Dominic is forced to drive off a cliff after being surrounded by Jakhandi's secondary convoy in order to protect Ramsey and himself from the terrorists. They are both spared from certain death by the reinforced Dodge Charger RT he drives. Meanwhile, Brian is forced to flee through an emergency door as a caravan falls off another cliff after being trapped inside by Jakhandi's gun Kiev. But Letty saves him just in time. This is also like one of my favorite scenes for this franchise just because for me this scene was also like very well timed and Looking afar, people might think that this is CGI, but it's actually not. So what viewers may not realize is that almost every part of the stunt on screen really happened. So the sequence was shot by second unit director Spiro Razatos, a veteran stunt coordinator. The production crew used the wooden wrap to tip the bus over onto its side and then dragged it to a real cliff. The crew used the rig to dangle the bus and Brian off a cliff. The bus was dropped off a manageably small cliff, then later dropped off a larger cliff for the longer take used in the movie. A DVD special feature shows the actual stunt being carried out by Walker's stunt double Phil Kulota. Kulota was hooked up to rig with wires, but the bus was actually falling away beneath him during the scene, meaning that he had only one take to execute the acrobatic jump featured in the final movie. The only computer enhancement was editing Kulota's safety cables up. So getting back on track in the next scene, we see Ramsey regain her consciousness after she and Dom fall from a cliff. She willingly divulges the location of God's eyes to the crew before she, because she feels she has found out enough about them to trust them. They travel to Abu Dhabi and meet up with Ramsey's friend Safar, who explains he sold the God's eye to a rich prince who is holding a major party in one of the Etihad Towers. The crew devised the plan where Tej and Ramsey are in charge of tech, Letty for security, Brian and Dom to get God's eyes, and Roman Pierce to shine as bright as Roman Pierce does. So fun fact about the scene is, Paul Walker did not film any scenes on top of the tower where he and Dom found like in Hypersport. Unfortunately, he passed away before they could actually film the scene. But I mean, don't you agree, Ethan, that it feels like he's actually the one there? Yeah, it feels like he's actually like the one there look, going through all of this when I was mm-hmm. watching the film. Yeah, so big props to um CGI, uh, to the CGI head for this movie. So 
Despite them being sneaky and stuff, their cover was still blown by the toughest of the princess bodyguards, Kara, played by the baddest woman in the planet, Ronda Rowdy Rousey. A fight scene between Letty and Kara then happens while Ted and Ramsey were losing control over security. Brian, while looking for God's eye underneath Lycan Hypersport, has to change plans since if he continues it, both him and Dom will be trapped. This is why Dom and Brian escaped the room using the Hypersport when suddenly Deckard Shaw unexpectedly appeared. Toretto and Brian used the Hypersport to get out by driving through the windows of the Etihad Towers. In mid-flight, they were shot by Shaw, but instead of stopping them, it actually helped them since they were able to land on another tower. During the scene, they found out the cars has no brakes and instead of escaping, Dom decided to go full speed and drive through one tower to another where they landed on the museum floor. This is when Brian was able to get God's eye to finish the plan with Dom and Brian escaping the car immediately. So Ethan, what were your thoughts on this scene knowing, of course, cars don't fly? Uh, this is this probably has to be like out of all like the scenes in this franchise. What I remember this has to be my favorite simply because of like I really like how the franchise uses like these car scenes to to like make these action scenes much better. And I would say that this is like the perfect example of it where the car really exemplifies the emotions felt in this moment. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I just really like this. Mm, yeah, I agree. Jimmy, for some reason, you know it's unrealistic in real life, but in the movie it looks it just looks super realistic. So, yeah, it does. Big props. Yeah. So big props to CGI head once again. With the gods I secure, Dominic, Mr. Nobody, Brian, and Ramsey uses it to hunt Decker down to an abandoned factory where they find him eating. Deckard expresses disappointment in the number of men who've come for him and reveals his joint forces with Drakande, who is looking to reclaim God's eye. Deckard's unexpected ambush results in the death of Mr. Nobody's right-hand man, Shepard, and the loss of God's eye. Dominic and Brian leaves the factory while carrying a hurt Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody requests that they stop and leave him by the side of the road so that his emergency team may pick him up and take him to the hospital. Mr. Nobody is left behind as the two rejoin the others. The crew decide to return to Los Angeles to face Deckard and Jacondi on the streets they know better than any other streets, which will reduce Jacondi's advantage over them. Tesh devises a dangerous plan that allows them to get near enough to God's eye to hack and regain control of it. Brian calls Mia telling her to take Jack and move on if she doesn't hear from him in 24 hours, but she reveals her pregnancy and orders him to survive and come back to her. The crew ushers Ramsey between vehicles whenever they are attacked by an unmanned drone that Jokandi is using to attack them. The drone chase ended up alerting the police, but Brian, Roman, and Tetra are able to avoid them due to the drone attacking them. The way Brian and Roman drift for Ramsey to switch vehicles just looks so good. Don't you agree, Ethan? Yes, it, it was really smooth. Like The, the steps yeah. that they did too were like really great. Which, how she was able to move from one car to another from the car window, which is actually also super small and... Think about in in real life. Do you think it's possible actually? Uh, I I feel like if, I I feel like if you do have the skill set necessary, it is possible. But but in this context where like they portray Ramsey as this like, uh, nerdy ish like computer person, then uh, in that context, I'd say that it'll be very difficult to pull off. Yeah, yeah, I do agree. So, realizing that they're being hacked, Jokandi destroys the radio tower that allows Ramsey to connect to her device, causing the hack. Hobbs, seeing this over the news and on his hospital window, breaks his arms, arm cast, suits up, takes painkillers, and gets back to work. At the parking garage elsewhere, Dominic goes head-to-head with Shaw in a traditional street fight with wrenches after using his Dodge Charger to destroy Shaw's Aston Martin. 
After his car is destroyed, Brian heads off on foot to a satellite tower to reconnect Ramsey by hand and finish the job with Kiet in pursuit to stop him. Also learning that Ramsey still with the crew, Tetra and Roma's car is destroyed, but they bail out. Brian faces off with Kiet in the building with the closest available tower connection is only barely able to defeat him, using a revenge allusion to the result of their previous encounter. Ramsey joins Teddy to come to Brian, but the drone is still chasing after them until Hobbs, driving an ambulance, crashed, crashed into the drone. After that, he got out of the vehicle and shot the drone dead. Hobbs then takes a gun to help fight with the crew. Brian reconnects Ramsey to... Wait, sorry. Oh, yeah, again. Brian reconnects Ramsey to the god's eyes, and she is able to take control, finishing the hack in the process. Dominic is able to defeat Deckard, remarking the thing about street fights, the street always wins. In time to save Hobbs, Ramsey, and Letty from Jokandi who tries to kill them with the helicopter turret. Dominic drives his charger off of a parking lot building but appears to miss the helicopter and crashes. However, Jokandi realizes that there are a bunch of grenades hanging on the underbelly of the helicopter. He can do nothing as Hobbs uses his gun to detonate the grenade and kills him. Hobbs and Brian pull Dominic from the ruined vehicle and Brian performs CPR on Dominic in hopes to resuscitate him. A tearful Letty demands he stops and tries to get Dominic to come around by speaking to him. She reveals that she got her memory back and remembered everything, including their marriage, when Dominic regains his consciousness. And she asks why he never told her they were married. Dominic tells her you can't tell someone they love you. In the aftermath, Shaw, having survived the collapse of the parking lot garage, is escorted to a maximum security CIA prison by Hobbs who tells Deckard that he'll be waiting for him on the other side should he eventually manage to escape as promised. Okay, so here we are. Last moments of the movie. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Dominic and the rest of the crew, including Ramsey, are relaxing on the beach in the Dominican Republic. Brian appears to have finally become settled in his domestic life with Mia and his role as a father to Jack, announcing his retirement. His friends watch the happy family together as Dominic prepares to leave. Ramsey asks if he intends to say goodbye, and see you again just starts playing in the background as Dominic believes it's never goodbye and departs from the rest of the group. On the road, Brian manages to catch up with Dominic at the de- Wait, again, sorry. Brian manages to catch up with Dominic at a crossroads and inquires where he intended on going without saying goodbye to him. Dom in his mind states, and I quote, I used to say I lived my life quarter mile at a time, and I think that's why we were brothers, because he did too. End quote. We then see a flashback of Brian with the crew and all those moments and memories they spent together, with CEO again still playing in the background. The crew drive together down the road and we hear Vin narrating, No matter where you are, whether it's a quarter mile away or halfway across the world, Dom looks at Brian to his left and the narration finished with the line, You'll always be with me and you'll always be my brother. The two cars then split off two directions as we follow Brian's white car. As the screen fades to white, a dedication to Paul Walker with the final title card that reads, For Paul, appears. Well, that ends the summary. So, any thoughts so far? Uh, I guess I could say that's one way to end the movie. <laughs> yeah, so I guess let's move on to category questions. So, um, what do you think is like the most underrated scene of the movie? Okay, I wouldn't say that like uh, this is underrated, but you see, while I was watching this movie again for this episode, I actually watched it with the classmate just so I have company. And uh, I wouldn't say that the scene is underrated, but every single time 
Bride and Kit are fighting. It, it's just like mm-hmm. we, we always anticipated. Like the, the mm-hmm. whole time we were watching the movie, it was buffering. But when Kiet arrived, we were just on, on our toes, just sitting there like, please don't buffer. We want to watch the scene. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say that it's underrated, but I don't hear people mention this when they talk about the movie. So that's why I chose this for, as my underrated scene. What about you? Yeah, I know. I do agree with you. Like, Kiet was played by a real mixed martial artist. And for Paul Walker to look like he was a pro while fighting him, I mean, the scene looks so good. But for me, the underrated scene is like Shaw leaving the destroyed hospital. Since I don't know if I can say this, but it's a bad to- way to get out of a building. Just seeing everything that happened, like the police are down, then there's fire. Then before he left, he detonated the grenade. For me, I think that's like the most underrated scene in the movie. Since I don't remember this scene, even though I watched this movie like a lot of times already. Right. But I think also one underrated scene is the skydiving car scene since I think people have to talk this more. Talk about this more. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> like the amount yeah, of effort since... put into the scene. Like you have to talk about it more. Come on. Yeah, I mean, this film was not done in computer, but it's actually done in real life. I mean, they had to throw cars off an airplane and make the scene look perfect. So for me, I think... It's also like one of the underrated scenes. So for my underrated character, I think the most underrated character is Brian O'Connor. Um, I think when people think about Fast and Furious, I think it's just Vin Diesel. But I think it has to be Vin Diesel and Paul Walker since they are the reasons on why this movie happened. But how about you, Ethan? Like who are or who is your underrated character? I feel like my uh, underrated character has to be a uh, Roman. Mostly because every mm-hmm. single time he is on screen, like he somehow finds a way to to give me the stupidest smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Like he said, he says the dumbest things that like it's just funny. <laughs> Especially just, um... the the scene where they're on like the tower. Uh, I, I feel like that's like his highest point in the movie, in my opinion. It really like exemplifies his like personality. Uh, what about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Tyrese Gibson did such a good job since every scene that he's at. He did not make it cringy, even though he's like making jokes and stuff, but it's actually funny. So I think that's pretty rare during now, during these days. So big props to Tyrese Gibson, who plays, of course, Roman Pierce. So hot takes for me, I don't have any hot takes about this movie, but do you have any hot takes, Ethan? I don't know if this is a hot take or if it's more of a nitpick, but I really hate where they do the thing where like the main character is like about to die and then. And then some other person comes on screen and says, Hey, I love you. And they just they're just magically alive oh, again. And mm-hmm, it happens mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, please stop doing this. It genuinely triggers me. Yeah, yeah. I 100 percent agree. But I think for my plot holes, that's actually like one of the things there as well. Like for me, they just like miraculously survived that defying scenes, like Hobbs landing on a car and Dom letting his car roll over a cliff. So, I mean, yeah. that happens in real life. Even if you're like the world's strongest man, you are going to die from that. But, well, movie magic. But how about you, Ethan? Do you have any plot holes? Yeah, I do agree that there is like some level of plot armor throughout the movie in some of the action scenes. I've, mm-hmm. in, my, in my opinion, besides that, uh, that like scene that I complained about, I feel like the scene where like they drive the where, where Dominic drives the car off the cliff with the Ramsey, I feel like that's my biggest example on like this level of plot armor that the movie has. Where, you know, I don't think you survived that it happens in real life, but magically they're alive. 
Yeah, I mean, Ramsey was just wearing a helmet, but she left that car uninjured. Like, if that happened in real life, you must have shattered your spinal cord or just have, like, discolated the shoulder something like that, but yeah. movie magic. So, Easter eggs. Uh, did you find any Easter eggs, Ethan? No, I couldn't really find any Easter eggs. So, I do, I found one Easter egg. So, like what I said before, I'm a big WWE fan, so... Mm-hmm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson actually did his finisher on Joe through the glass table. So his finisher is called the Rock Bottom, and it's such uh um, it makes I think it makes WWE fans like happy to see him be successful after coming from this bad character, I guess, to become this most graphic mm-hmm. to this legendary wrestler and now legendary movie star. So huge pops to The Rock as well. So things that did not age well. I think for me, the only thing that did not age was, I guess, the slight sexism between Roman Pierce when he was judging Ramsey. But I think it was called out by Ted, so I don't think it's really a big deal. But how about you, Ethan? Yeah, I, I was going to point that out as well. Like, uh, when I watched the movie with the film, we both found it kind of strange that they would just randomly insert this uh, this sort of scene when the mm-hmm. when, when, when like the, the movie prior, it didn't have this sort of thing, and they would even, and then they would suddenly introduce this sort of thing, and we're like, well, this feels out of place. <laughs> this didn't happen yeah, before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ramsey is just like a hot body, I guess, more than a character. I think even yeah. now, I think Ramsey did not re- does not really have a real storyline or backstory. So I think for Fast X, hopefully she gets more plot stories. Yeah, she, she so, felt more of like a heavily stereotyped character, mm-hmm, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, what ifs? I think wait, you first, Ethan. Do you have any what ifs? Um. Oh, this is pretty difficult. But my, my my one. Actually, no. I can't think of one. <laughs> you put me on the spot here. Yeah, I think uh, that's my. Listen, go. I I I think I think the one what if that like um comes comes to my head is uh what they might have done if the. If they had taken out the signal repeater tower quicker, since I did feel like they had a, I feel like they should have realized much sooner that they were able to pull this off because of that radio tower, and I feel like it gave them a much bigger, I guess you could say, advantage in that chase. So I really wanted to see what uh, they would have done if that was taken out. Really. I mean, I guess you could argue that the events that happened in the movie might have just happened again in this sort of situation, but I do feel like that, um, it might have turned out differently if that happened. What about you? Yeah, um, I do agree with you from that point. But for me, I don't really have any what hit what ifs. But mm. I do have a big one if behind the scene, and that's what if Paul Walker did not pass away since Fate Fate of the Furious, which is Fast and Furious Eight, would become more of like Brian's story if Paul Walker was still alive, and they actually had to do do so many script reworks because of him oh. passing away since instead of killing him, they decided to just retire him instead since they want him to still be alive in the movie. But yeah. for me, I think that's like my biggest what if, like what if he did not pass away? Mm-hmm. So Vin's action justified or not. So Vin is record shot. I think his um action, uh, I think his motive is because he wants revenge. Yeah, he, he wants to, like, avenge his uh, brother, I think. That's brother, his motive. Yeah. I think... Who? Blood's thicker than water, I guess. 
I think it's justified. <laughs> hot take, justified. There, there's way hot. Take. I think it's justified. Uh, I mean, even though they're bad, but I mean, I see it in his point, like. But I, I think then? I think Deckard Shaw like sticks out to me as more of like a lawful evil type of character in this movie, where mm-hmm. you, you you can't really say that like his um I guess his attacks are like unprovoked since his motive is avenging his brother, and like mm-hmm. even even then like before that I don't to my knowledge okay he didn't like do anything of that sort of magnitude, so. I, I, I mean, I can't really say that the actions are justified because of like all the damage that he caused in the movie. But at the same time, I can't really say that it's not justified because, again, his brother is really important to him. So I would have to say, I would have to have a pretty neutral stance in this. Yeah, I mean, I think the only background this movie gave us from Deckard Troy is that he used to work for the British Special Ops, but because he knew too much, he has he had to get killed, but he was able to escape. Now he became a shadow. So mm. I don't believe he's necessarily a bad guy. I think he just wants to avenge his brother, which I completely understand, I guess. But right. like the way he like, killed pe- innocent people, I think that's not justified, but I think the motive is. So rewatchable scene. Ethan, you first. Uh, I feel like the most rewatchable scene, in my opinion, has to be the uh, one. It has to be the the one where Dominic runs the car off the cliff. Even though I I am a bit nitpicky about that scene, I feel like it's one of the most rewatchable scenes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one has to be the my second and last one has to be the whole sequence where they're rescuing Ramsey because I feel like it. If you were like a first watcher of like the franchise, you will see in the scene like the the chemistry between all of the characters. Especially how like they're able to trust each other and like coordinate this um plan that they just came up with, and be able to successfully pull off this pretty ridiculous rescue. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Ramsey thing, I think it does perfectly embodies like fast the Fast and Furious crew and their chemistry together. But I think for me, like the most rewatchable scene is still the ending. I think um, like be one of your main characters there's dying in real life be such a hard thing since I mean he is like one of the faces of the franchise so him passing away did make a huge impact so to make it still look good and not distasteful even though knowing that he was not the one who's filming the scenes really um I think that's just the smartness of Justin Lin the director of this movie and the script writers as well so I think for me I think still the ending since it's like very emotional, but I think it's also feel good as well since I think it gives people a lot of closure knowing the way Paul Walker died unexpectedly. So I think they just made a great job. Yeah. So out of 10, how well cast is this movie? Perfect 10 for me. Um, This cast has been together since Fast and Furious 2, I believe. 2000. I want to get this right. Fast and Furious was 2003. So they've been together wow. for was released like 2014, 2015, so 12, 13 years. So mm. for them to be like stick together for that long, they do know each other and they do know who their characters are. So for me, I think it's a 10 out of 10 for how well cast. But how about you, Ethan? I would have to agree. I would also give a 10. Mostly because you can really see how like uh all of the characters were, and and all the actors were like comfortable with each other. They were able to really pull off that sort of like um that like family bond that like all the characters had. 
and uh, mm-hmm. even like you can say like the antagonist they really like seem threatening if that makes sense like they're not they're not like the the villain that you would be like oh yeah what's he gonna do no like they actually felt like threatening and they feel like they might actually kill one of the main characters at the one point in the movie so i would say that the the movie is very well casted yeah yeah i mean the villain does have a story which is actually also pretty rare these days since most villains are just there to be this big bad but only a few actually stick to our minds and those that actually stick do have a backstory behind them and we do understand their motives but yeah more or less on our message of this movie um I think for me, more or less in this movie is fear and loyalty keeps this team together since mm. Vin Diesel has been such a great leader and none of them are really scared of him. I mean, they're just loyal to him. And mm. I think that shows how good of a leader Dominic Toretto is. So for me, I think that's the moral lesson. But how about you, Ethan? I, I guess my message is on like the same lines where like um the the family was like really strong because they they're they're like a really good team right even though you look at their backgrounds you look like oh they there's no way that they like come together and make this group but but with like how great their experiences are and and as you said like he he's like a really good leader you can really see how they're all like very comfortable working with each other and even in these like really like ridiculous circumstances they're willing to throw their life on the line so they could help one another i mean ever since fast and Pierce's first release i think they truly showed the importance of family i mean every movie except of course this one through my knowledge they always end up together this like balcony and they drink beer and they think we see this scene like one of his one of the brian's flashbacks where uh dom toretto was like making a toast and it was like familiar salute so i think mm-hmm. that's like what fast and furious is and when you remove cars to the equation i think people will remember fast and furious as like they're not really friends but they're actually family so Ethan, if you could change something about this movie what would it be I feel like I've, I already said this earlier, but I would change the sort of like cliche, like, oh, I come back to life after you proclaim that you love me kind of thing. I, I would change that. I I've, I don't know how this would like ruin the pacing of like the movie and whatever and how this might ruin the buildup. But mm-hmm. I, I do feel like having um Dominic like in a rigging consciousness some other way than just, you know, going off to him and saying that <laughs> I remember everything and he just wakes mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. you could you could definitely change that to something better. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna do something like that, at least like emphasize the I guess the theme that the movie's trying to portray with like the family bond and at least have like the entire group like participate in that sort of thing or something. I don't know how to explain it, but I feel mm, like no, the yeah. The, the typical oh um I'm your lover so you, you should stop dying now sort of thing, um I feel yeah. like I would change that, but other than that I don't think there's anything else that I would change. Mm-hmm. I mean I do understand like your point of view and I do agree with you. I think we should really stop making those kind of cliches. But for me, like what I would change is Dagger Show is such a great villain, but Jakandi just sucked in my opinion. I think oh, this guy yeah, should be true. like this big terrorist type but he just doesn't look or even or he's not even menacing like he just orders his people to shoot this car or get god's eye but other than that we don't really see him in action so i think they could have done a better job to make him look more badder more evil i guess so i think for me like, that's the only thing i would change about the movie yeah, and I, I, also yours okay so 
Underrated, overrated, appropriately rated. I'll call this movie underrated. Mm. Since I think this is peak Fast and Furious then. I don't think people really um remember Fast and Furious as well as like they say Marvel movies. I mean Marvel movies is yeah. much more better than Fast and Furious, but mm. I think franchise comparing franchises, I think they're like one and two for me as in like the best franchises. Mm. Um there's nothing re- that really comes to my mind that's better than Fast and Furious except for of course the MCU. So for right. me I think people should like watch and recommend this movie more considering this also like Paul Walker's last movie and then just like what I said before like this is just a perfect balance of action and plot um considering that this is a fast and a furious movie but how about you Ethan? I can't really like give okay I'll say this I don't think I can really give a like proper like opinion on whether or not this is like overrated or underrated mostly because I haven't really like watched the entire franchise nor mm-hmm. am I like that familiar with like how like well received the movies are and whatever, and and while I and while I have been saying like my fair share of like controversial takes on uh, like this yeah. episode and then like our show in general, I'll just stick with um with appropriately rated, since um uh, I can't really like think of like anything in the movie that would seem as like overhyped or like underrated. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just appropriately rated. Mm-hmm. I mean, but when this movie was first released, I mean. It's the highest grossing film the Fast and Furious franchise, achieving just 12 days. It's also the highest grossing Universal Pictures film of all time as well. Then it also has the second highest opening of all time. So during those times, I do agree with you. This is 100% appropriately rated. But as time passes and more Fast and Furious movies are released, I think people do forget about this movie, I guess. But compared to other Fast and Furious films, I mean, I do agree that there's nothing really that hugely memorable about this except for the ending and the skydiving scene. Nothing really comes to my mind. Like, when you say Fast and Furious 7, I think those are the only things that I remember not like, oh, there's so many scenes that I have to think about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do feel like that what if I like a Fast and Furious fan, I would like mostly like think of this movie as like, oh, this is the last movie that Paul Walker is in. I guess mm-hmm. I have to remember it. I do understand that, like, you know, people would feel about this movie in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last two questions. Out of 10, how would you rate this movie? I would personally rate yeah. this at a 9. I, 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 the movie is really good, don't get me wrong. For, like, an action film, I'd say, like, this is um, I, one of the better ones. Mm-hmm, since mm-hmm. Um, when, when you think of action films, it's just, like, non-stop fighting, non-stop, like, you know, drama. But I feel like this this movie is like the perfect balance of like uh, the exposition um creating like the bonds between the characters as well as the action so i'd say that this movie is pretty good the only reason why i wouldn't give it a perfect rating is uh, because of like my nitpicks earlier i'm sorry okay i can't get over it but mm-hmm. yeah that's the one reason why i can't give it a 10 but overall i'd recommend this movie to people who um want to like i guess get into some sort of action movies um for me, I think I'll give it a 9.5. Um, uh-huh. There were a lot of plot stories, but they actually made it seem that everything was connected to each other. But like Jahandi being this just a guy, it just I think feels like super wrong since considering, I mean, he's this hater, it's like what I said before. And I feel like they could have done a better job with Hobbes as well. Mm. Since I think Hobbes, 
is here just because he's doing the rotrons and not because he has a um purpose in my opinion i guess i, I had to agree with you there mm-hmm. so and i think this also when the fast and furious movie started became becoming more unrealistic after that car just going over one tower to another since i think going i mean fast and furious went to space I mean this this movie start this movie started with street racing and now they're in space. So oh I think this is just when mm-hmm. so I think this is just when they started becoming unrealistic. So I mean it's still a great movie, like but I think it's a nine point five for me. And don't get me wrong, okay. it's like not a good uh it's not a bad rating, but they could have done a better job, I guess. But watch it or skip it. Um watch it. Do do you agree then? Yeah, I agree. Watch it. Yeah, um, even if you're not like a big Fast and Furious fan, I think you would truly appreciate this film. Like, I did not really explain the ending as well as I can, since you just have to watch the movie to truly understand the impact. Since if this is the first movie you watch, you could immediately feel how important Brian was and how important Paul Walker was to this entire franchise. So for me, just watch it. Since, I mean, like what Ethan said a while ago, um compared to action movies that we have right now, it's actually like one of the better ones that are left. And there are also emotional um, scenes as well. So for me, I think you should just watch it to truly understand like how big of a movie this truly is since no one can really explain it to you as well as if you're going to be watching the movie. But how about you, Ethan? What's your explanation on why people should watch it? Um, I feel like you should uh, watch this movie mostly because again, as I said, I feel like this is a much bigger step up compared to the actual the, the typical action movie, and um, I do feel like even though people might perceive this movie as like the, the the last movie of Paul Walker or whatever, it, it it's it's really worth the watch. My even with all of my like nitpicks and uh, complaints aside, I still really enjoyed this movie a lot. Like, as mentioned earlier, like, even though I had all these complaints when I was having this, I guess you call it a watch party with my friend, there were still moments where we were very invested into the movie. I didn't mm-hmm. think I would, like, do this when rewatching like, a, like an old movie, let alone a franchise I'm not really knowledgeable about, but it somehow managed to do that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I recommend this movie to people. Yeah, I think, like, for the people who have not watched this movie yet, I think the first thing that comes to your mind was this is the last movie of Paul Walker, and this is why... Fast and Furious fan held hold this into high regards, but it's one hundred percent false. This movie can stand alone even if Paul Walker did not pass away, in my opinion at least. So I think you should just give it a chance, even if you're not a big action movie kind of fan. I think um just one hundred percent recommend it. So I guess on that note, this would unfortunately be the end of today and rewind activate. So me and Ethan just want to thank all of you for joining us through this ride from, of course, Infinity War first episode to Furious 7. Don't worry, though, since Candapen Radio will be releasing a new show, so support them as much as you supported us. Yep. So remember to follow Candlepen on Facebook and Instagram to be updated when new episodes will be released. And a huge thank you to Vian for being a pleasure to work with. Mm-hmm. You as well. So we have been your hosts, Vian Ching. And Ethan Chutan. And, and we, we have been rewind. Rewind activate. activate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>